We've given you these post-it notes and pens, and I want you, we're going to dive straight in, okay? And the thing that I would like you to write on your post-it note to start with is, you know, we're towards the end of the week now, and hopefully you've been on a real journey with Jesus through the week, and he's been raising stuff, he's been challenging, he's been affirming, he's been doing loads in your hearts. And so I want you to now write on your post-it note the, the thing or the, the sin that you know in your life keeps popping back up. Yeah, I want you to think about what is the sin in your life that just keeps raising its head. And it, maybe you've been coming to New Day for a few years and just every year it's, it's the thing that you're repenting for. Okay, and I want you to write that on your paper. It might be gossip. It might be, I don't know, what's it for you? But the, like... It doesn't. It might not be like one. Like there are some. No, no sin is greater than anything. But obviously, there are some that have more significance or more consequences in life. But you know that just in your heart, you, jealousy. Or I think I think gossip is a big one that we forget sometimes. That we we like just to talk. So why don't you just write that? And then the next thing, which might be a little bit harder is I want you to try and think about the reason or the, 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 the thing that's lurking behind that sin. And let me just explain that for a second. You know, like they say, anger is a secondary emotion. So you get angry, but, but the, the reason you get angry is because of something deeper at work. Well, behind often a lot of our sins, there's the same principle. There is something behind... That is causing us to keep going to this thing. And I want you to just to think for a minute and see if you can name what that thing is. Um, For me, a lot of the time, it's been self-worth. It's been, I just don't think I'm good enough or I don't think I'm worth much. And so therefore, I go and do this thing to try and make myself feel better. So what is it for you? Now, if you can't think of anything, it's okay. It's like this isn't a test. And um, I'm trusting. But as we, maybe as we just write this, let me just invite the Holy Spirit and just pray. Father God, we, we love you. And we're excited to meet with you again now. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just be in this place, move amongst us, keep stirring our hearts, keep challenging us, keep bringing kind of to the forefront those things that we need to keep surrendering. Not just young people in this room, me, leaders. Lord, keep challenging us on the things that we need to lay down before you. The things we need to repent for and things we need to find freedom from, I pray. Amen. Okay, so maybe you can kind of keep thinking as I talk, but we're gonna we're then going to kind of come back to that later. Today I'm speaking on Romans 12. Um, Romans 12, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there? Um, I, I will tell you, I am... Um, I wrote this seminar, and the way that God led me in this is I actually, I have one of these big Bibles with uh, margins on either side where you can write notes and stuff. So actually, for the first time ever, I wrote my talk in my Bible. It's like I was scribbling on the sides. I, was, I felt like I was really, for myself, meeting Jesus in it. And then at the beginning of the week, I lost my Bible. <laughs> um, so if you find a big black ESV Bible with Neil Glanville written in the front, that's mine. Um, I would love it back. Um, but yeah, so I lost my Bible. So I had to go off site yesterday and um, kind of rewrite um, what I'm going to be speaking on today. Um, 
But yeah, so we're in Romans 12, chapter 1, and here's, here's what it says. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Okay, now, if you've got your Bibles in front of you, does anyone want to take a guess? What do you think is the most important word in that passage for us today? Anyone want to take a, take a little stab? Mercy? It's good. Sacrifice, okay. Anyone else? Transform? All good stuff. But I want to suggest that for today, for the purpose of today, the most important word in this passage for us just to, to look at is the word, therefore. Okay, might be a bit surprised by that. But the word therefore in this passage is so, so important for us to acknowledge. And it's the kind of word that we would just glance over. We wouldn't give it any because we would. We would go to the words mercy, sacrifice and stuff. But today I want us just to look at what does that word therefore mean. Now basically what therefore is saying to us is actually before Romans 12 there are 11 other chapters that we have to consider. That therefore is a signal saying that what I'm about to say is based on what I've already said. And so actually before we even come to this bit in Romans 12 we have to just go on a little bit of a journey through the rest of Romans to see what Paul has already said because Everything he said in chapter 12, he is based on, therefore, he's based on what he has already said. So we're going to have to do that. Now, I am useless at geography. Who, who, who loves geography in the room? I find that you're normally either a geography person or a history person. I was, who's history? Yeah, come on, love that. All right, so I am useless at geography. My wife is from Bedford and... When it comes to finding our way around London, I was born in London. When it comes to finding our way around, she schools me all the time. I'm useless. On, on like every scale, I'm rubbish. So southeast London, I kind of know. But then London, I haven't got Scooby. Tubes, don't ask me. I will get lost. If you then go a bit broader, just to England, I, I, you ask me where a place is and I'm like, maybe over here, I'm rubbish. And then if you go to like Europe, I've got no idea. I have no sense of direction. I've got no idea where anything is. And then let alone around the world. I really, really suck at geography and knowing where I am. Did any of you, um, hands up, did you ever get lost in a supermarket as a kid and they had to call your parents over the tannoy? Anyone? Weren't they the best times? I'm pretty sure I started running off on purpose just to embarrass my mum. Because you see the parents doing that walk of shame like, yes, I lost my child. I used to love running off. Um, and then what about when you're in a theme park, right? You know when you're in a theme park and you're trying to find your way around and you find one of the big maps. What do you think? What is the most important bit of information on one of those maps? You are here, here, right? If you didn't have that bit that says you are here, you won't be able to read the map. You've got no idea where you are, where you're going, what way's up. It's like unless you are told you are here right now, you're not going to get anywhere. 
Well, basically, what Paul is doing in chapters 1 to 11 is he is saying, here is where you're at. This is where you are. Therefore, Romans 12 and onwards. Yeah, chapters 1 to 11 is like a massive statement from Paul. This is where you're at. Therefore, now do this. If we don't have the pieces of information that Paul gives us in chapter, chapters 1 to 11, we're stuck. What Paul is doing through Romans 1 to 11 is he's laying this foundation. Or what I love in Phil Moore's book, commentary on this, which I've got over here. He talks about it like a doorframe. He talks about like a theological doorframe. That he, he builds this picture up. And then as we walk through it, what then chapter 12 is, is like a hinge. And you walk through it. So we have to start on chapters 1 to 11. We have to get our thinking right on who Jesus is, who we are, why we need Jesus, what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, your desperate need of Jesus, and what being in Christ truly means. And so that when he tells us then, therefore, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, we're doing it from the right foundation. If we don't, I promise you, you will go in the wrong direction. You will. Our bodies will naturally take us in the wrong direction. Direction. So we're going to go for a little bit of a journey through Romans. Um, I'm not expecting, again, partly because I lost my Bible, I haven't been able to produce a PowerPoint, which I normally would do. So I want you just to try and when I read scripture, again, let's just, this, this is the word of God. I was challenged a few years ago by um, my mate Joe, who was preaching at a conference, and he said, we have to believe that this changes lives. And I remember I had to repent because I got into a place where I didn't believe this truly changed lives. I'd, I've done youth work for about five, six years now. And I'd got into the habit of like, okay, it's got to be a great game and it's got to be vibey and it's got to have cool lights. And I remember repenting because it's like, this changes lives. So as I read this, Holy Spirit, I pray, let the word of God take root in our heart. So I'm going to just pull out some of the kind of core theological foundations that Paul wants us to know before Romans 12. In Romans 1, he starts like this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. The first thing he wants us to know is this isn't about an establishment, about a religion, about the church. This is about his son. Concerning his son. How often do you go to church and do you engage with songs and stuff? And actually, you've gone on to automatic pilot. You're singing the words, but you're not actually. We are here today because of a person. A person that was alive, but is alive. He is alive. He is a real person. And the first thing Paul wants us to know is this is concerning God's son, Jesus. He's real. Then it says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Paul is, this is a bit of a fiery one. Paul's basically saying, there is no excuse. If you get to the, to the, to the end of your life, and you're standing before God, and you're like, God, I just didn't know. I, just, I had no idea you were really real. I'm so... It's going to be like, no, you've, Paul's saying you've got no excuse. Look around you. Look at this world. Look at the trees. Look at the stars. There's no excuse not to know that there's a God. Look around you. Do you believe this is by chance? 
And if you're here today and you're sitting here going, do you know what? I, I just don't know. Like maybe he's real. I want to. Not knowing is not an excuse when that day comes. Do everything you can. Like to be honest, like even if you end up at the point of not believing, like I'd rather you do that than just be, just don't be. I don't know. Look into it. Do alpha. Do whatever you can to kind of go. God, if you are real, maybe even today there's a point later where you're, you just need to pray, God, if you really are real, would you show yourself to me? There's no excuse, Paul says. In Romans 3, he says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a... Pro- oh, I can never say that word. Propitiation. What's the word? Yeah, that's the one. Um, I can never say it, literally. I've even looked it up. I'm like, I can't, my mouth won't do it. By his blood to be received by faith. He's saying all have sinned. This is particularly in this bit of the book, he's particularly talking to the Jews who have got into a religious mindset, who have got into trusting in their own practices, who have, who have basically missed what God has called them to be and to do. They were meant to be the channel of blessing to the rest of the world and they've missed it and Paul is saying you've missed it all fall short of the glory of God all have sinned Toby yesterday who's who's been speaking in 12 to 14s said your best efforts the way that you on your very best week where you feel like you've smashed it you've read your bible you've prayed you've been generous you've that is still like dirty rags in comparison to the glory and holiness of Jesus. We cannot earn our way. We cannot, we cannot manufacture this. It is only as a gift. We can't do it through the law, through reading our Bibles, through practicing everything that is written in here. Because fundamentally, we can't. Even when, kind of outwardly, we seem to get it right. I know, even this week, my heart, my flesh... Romans talks a lot about flesh. My flesh is constantly fighting for glory all the time. When I stand on that platform and lead worship, with everything I can, I'm trying to give glory to God. But there is always, my team, we've come off this week and every day we've trained, Jesus, please protect us from pride and ego. And please, like, but our flesh, it fights for glory and acceptance and it just loves recognition. All have sinned. This can only be given by a gift. And Paul talks a lot in Romans about actually the father of Israel, Abraham. Okay, And he says that even Abraham received righteousness through faith, through believing. It wasn't by practicing the law. It was through faith that Abraham was saved. It's only a gift. It's only by faith in Jesus that we are saved. In Romans 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we accept Jesus as Lord of our lives, we are, the Bible tells us, we are enemies with God. Again, the flesh, it fights against God. It rejects God. Like in in our most natural state, our hearts are so anti-God. Why? Because they want us to be God. All the time, our hearts are trying to tell us It goes all the way back to Genesis, what happened with Adam and Eve. Fundamentally, they chose, no, God, I think think we want to take a shot at this. And it's what we do every day. We hear his commands, we, we hear his word, and yet 
so often we walk in our own way. Why? Because we're trying to be God. We're trying to say, we're trying to have our way. Trying to dictate how it should go out. We are enemies of God. But now through Jesus, the mediator between us and God, through dealing with our sin on the cross, he has reconciled us. He has made peace between us and God, allowing us then to walk in relationship with him. We have peace with God. Goes on to say, for while we were still weak at the right time, some translations say, while we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why is it so often, as we're trying to walk out our Christian life, when we get it wrong, why is it so often the shame causes us to draw away from God? Why is it? When this passage tells us that he died for the ungodly. It wasn't like he was unaware when he went to the cross. It wasn't wishful thinking. He knew. He knew at that point, he knew your name today in Norfolk in 2019. He knew your heart. He knew you were a sinner. And at that point, he still died for you. So why? Why do we allow shame to creep in and cause us to hide away from God? He died for that reason. For you, for the ungodly, for me. So why do we keep allowing shame to make us turn our face? Why aren't we running to him saying, God, thank you for dying for me as a sinner? He sees and knows our weaknesses. And yet he died for them anyway. He died for that very reason. So there's a challenge for us. To stop trying to hide our weakness from him. Apostle Paul says, boast in your weakness. That's why Jesus died for you. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You need to hear that. And in Romans 2, most of Romans 2 is about the, the judgment that is coming. There is a day coming where we will each stand before God. And that should scare us a bit. Yeah, that should scare us a bit. There is a day of judgment coming. And morality won't, won't be enough on that day. Good manners won't be enough on that day. Giving to charities, being a good person will not be enough on that day. Only if you are counted in Christ. It's the only thing on that day that will matter. Are you in Christ? There is judgment coming. That's a sober thought. But it's true. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. It's really important for us to know that sin isn't just something that we do. It's something we are born into. There is we are in a world of sin. It's not just something we do. This world is broken. When sin entered it, everything broke. The earth broke. The weather broke. Everything. We are in it. We are born into it. It's not just something we do. And what Jesus brings isn't just a personal release from sin for us, but he promises to make all things new. Just gonna actually skip the next one to um, just to kind of link with that one. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Again, sin, a world of sin. Creation is longing to be set free from it. And that's what Jesus will bring. The whole of Romans 6 speaks about being alive in Christ. Again, I hope you've enjoyed singing um, one of our new songs, He is Alive. That's, what, that's where it was written out of. Romans 6. We are now alive in Christ. And it talks about if you've been baptized, you've been baptized into his death. But because of that, how much more should we be expected to be counted in his resurrection? There is new life in Christ. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members, in our, in our body parts, basically in our body, to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known my sin. The law was never, ever, ever, ever given to save. It cannot save. The reason the law was given to us is to reveal our sin. It acts as a benchmark. This is God saying, if you... To, to be righteous, this is, this is the bar. And every time, without fail, we fall short. Every time. The law cannot save, it was never meant to save. But what it does do is it reveals our sin. But again, a little bit like, why, we, why do we turn away in our shame? It's like, what, what, what the purpose of the law should do is, is, is when we get something wrong and we go, oh man, that is not in line with what the law says. What it should then go is to make us run back to God. But how often does it actually cause us to hide away, to turn our face in shame? The law is there to say, children of God, here, this is where you find freedom and life and joy and peace. And so when we get it wrong, it's it's like a friend. The law should be like a friend tapping you on the shoulder and saying, buddy, how how many of you want a friend that when you get something wrong, when you're making a mistake, go, look, mate, I'm not sure you're getting this right. I think you're making the wrong call here. That's the purpose of the law, the purpose of the word of God. It isn't to hit you around the head saying, what are you doing? It's a friend tapping you on the shoulder saying, look, mate, come on. You know this isn't the right decision here. Come back, come back. That's the purpose of the law. And through all of this, through every chapter, through Romans, Paul is building this This airtight foundation, theological groundwork. Making sure that we are, it's like you are here. This is where you have to, this is where your feet stand. Because if you don't have this this view of Christ, this understanding, if you don't understand what has been done for you and what you now stand on, then you will never be able to do what I am saying in Romans 12. Every chapter, brick by brick, is building this case that we are all sinners, that no one can earn their way. Every person can only approach God through Jesus, who by his blood paid a sinner's debt, our debt, 
Not through the law, not by praying, not by reading your Bible or going to church, not by being a good person. One way, Jesus. And that we are to join with the rest of creation in longing for his return. And then we come to Romans 12. And this is where then it's like the hinge. This is when the door opens and we walk through. Therefore, in light of all of this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that I've just said, everything he's done, everything he has done for you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. That's why the word therefore, for me, is the most important word for us to hear in this passage. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, it isn't offer yourself as a living sacrifice by reading your Bible and praying loads and serving at church and giving money. These are ways of honoring and loving and worshiping God, but they will never, never be the thing that saves you. And if you try and do what it says in Romans 12 through these things, you will always end up disappointed and left in shame. They will always be a chore. Reading your Bible will always be a chore. Prayer will always be a chore. If, you're, if you read Romans 12 and you go, right, I'm going to really try today. Right, let's do it. I'm trying. It will always be a chore. It won't be life-giving if you haven't understood chapters 1 to 11. I love what Tim Keller says in his book. This is, I'm going to just plug this book because this is one of the best things I've read. And what's really great, it's so small. Like literally, this is, you know, those of you that are looking forward to your toilet when you go home, this is the book to take for your toilet time, all right? So small, this is great. Um, I'm not a huge reader. Um, I'm getting better. But um, the only books I really got into as a kid was Harry Potter. Um, woo, little Harry Potter there. Um, but this book is fantastic. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, which at first when I read that title, I was like, what is that going to be about? It's basically about you shrinking and Jesus increasing. About your ego and your pride and, and finding true peace in your self-worth being in Christ and therefore not having to prove yourself and, and you forget yourself. And um, this book is fantastic. One of the analogies uh, he uses in this book is he talks about a courtroom. And, um, and that we wake up every day, and what we do so often is we put ourselves back in a courtroom. And we're waiting, we live our daily lives waiting for this verdict on us. We're waiting for a verdict from God. How much did we read our Bibles this week? How much did I pray? Did I live well this week? And we're waiting for that verdict from God to say, yeah, well done this week, did really well, or no, not good enough. We're living day by day waiting for God to pass that judgment on us. We're waiting for the verdict of our friends around us. Do we look good today? Are your hair so nice? Are you look great? Have you lost weight? All those things. We're waiting for the verdict from our friends to, again, fuel our self-worth. And we wait for the verdict on ourselves. Do I feel good today? Am I happy? Am I content today? Do I feel satisfied? Were my needs met today? And we're, for, on each one, we're waiting for this verdict to basically say, today was a good day. But then obviously, if you're living like that, what happens when it's not a good day? Oh, this was a bad day, and your self-esteem is down here, and you wallow in it, and 
and every day. And no matter how good the day was before, when the new day starts, you're back in the courtroom. And the cycle starts again. And you... And you're waiting. And you're just day to day, you're living this life where you're just waiting for this verdict on you. What Paul is saying in chapters 1 to 11 is the verdict is in. The verdict is in. And the verdict is you are saved. You are free to go. You no longer have to be in this courtroom. You no longer have to be on trial. Because you know what? Someone else has stepped up And actually said, you know what? I'll take it. And he says, get out of the courtroom. Why do you keep putting yourself back in there? If you are in Christ, then the verdict has been passed once and for all. You are saved. You are free. You no longer have to keep walking into that courtroom there with your head low waiting for this verdict. You are free. Leave. You are free. Go. And that is what Jesus Has done for those now in Christ Jesus, for those who have confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that God raised him from the dead. You are now saved. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And now the spirit of God dwells in you. You no longer need to live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The spirit of adoption which helps you cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself is bearing witness with our spirits that we are children of of God. As we go day to day following Jesus, the Spirit will be tapping us again like their friend, tapping us on the shoulder saying, you're a child of God. Nothing can separate you from his love. You are dead to sin. You are alive in Christ. The Spirit assures us of our faith and our position, our eternal, immovable, unshakable position in God's family. Which neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nothing in the present or things to come, nor powers, heights or depths or anything else in creation will be able to separate you from the love of God. That is what Paul is saying in Romans 1 to 11. Not your friends, not your family, not your school exam grades, not your future job prospects, not your shortcomings, not your confusion over the Bible. You struggle to read the Bible. None of that plays a part in the verdict. None of that is now acting against you as evidence, waiting for that verdict. You're out. And now therefore, in view of all of this, everything God has already done for you, and because of who he is, and because of that his spirit lives in you, and you are in Christ, he now says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Lay everything down before him, because he laid everything down for you. You can now live for Jesus because his spirit lives in you. You can now sacrifice the things that your body and your flesh desire because he sacrificed himself for you. You can surrender all that you are, everything you have. You can follow Jesus and suffer for Jesus because nothing compares to the glory that awaits us. So we can, we can, we can boast in our weakness. We can endure suffering and trials knowing that there is a day coming where our inheritance will, be, will far outweigh that which we have gone through here. And like creation waits, groaning to be set free, to be renewed, we too are to wait and watch and pray for and long with groaning too deep for words, awaiting his return where all things will be made right. And you will be glorified in and with Jesus. 
If you try and do, and I've been in so many talks where Romans 12, this kind of thing is said, but, but we can't start there. Because all that, if you just go straight to Romans 12, all you're going to fall into is the trying harder. Believe me, I'm 27 now. It never worked for me. I wish I got this earlier. I didn't. I spent years just trying harder. Actually, do you know what? I'm going to be super real with you right now. The week before New Day, I was here at pre-week. We were setting up, and God did some of the most painful heart surgery in me that he has ever done. And he pointed out some stuff in my heart that I had to seriously repent for a week ago. Where I was trying to prove myself, and I was looking for recognition and trying to... And God was just lovingly just going, do you know what? You need to lay this down. And I went into this week probably the most spiritually tired and emotionally driven I've ever, ever been. Yet I was probably more free than I've ever been. When we stop putting ourselves in the courtroom and trying to prove ourselves day by day. When we accept that the verdict has come in that we are free. And we look to Jesus and we spend time with Jesus and we look for, at his word. And, but we're not doing it out of trying harder, out of ticking the boxes, out of trying to prove ourselves to him. When we accept that he has done it on our behalf, that it is a free gift. And when we truly surrender everything, you will do these things. But you will do it out of a heart of gratitude, not out of striving. I love it in Romans 6. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Sanctification basically means um, the journey of becoming holy. So all through our life, God is looking to sanctify us, to, to make us holy. Bit by bit as we surrender, as we grow in our knowledge and understanding and love for Christ, he's sanctifying us. He's, he's making us holy. And what this is saying is, it's a fruit. We did a series in our youth group a while ago on the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things one of the leaders spoke about is, when you see a fruit tree, you don't see it standing there going, bananas! Like, it's not trying. Apples! It's not trying. You put that tree in the right soil, in the right place, with the right seed, it will come. It doesn't have to try. And that's what, when Paul uses the word of fruit, he's saying, if you plant yourself in Christ, if you feed yourself with the right stuff, you won't have to try and do these things. They will come naturally. They will just come. And please, with everything I have in me, I just want to say to you today, stop trying. Stop it. It ain't leading nowhere other than to you feeling shame and disappointment. This book to the Romans is concerning his son. This is about Jesus. It is all about him, a person, a very real person. I shared in the Big Top one night. I've been all week, I can't get it out of my head, just the image of like Jesus walking before me and me seeing his footprints. He walked this earth. God. How often do we get so used to these phrases? God clothed in flesh. Do you know how nuts that is? God clothed in flesh. And he, you were once sitting in this trial box with a jury and God, the judge. And you're waiting for this verdict. And Jesus has literally, he's walked in 
And he's pulled you out of the box and he's stood in the box himself. And he said, I don't know what your names are. Harry, Fred, Bill, Jessica, you're free to go. And out of that freedom, out of the gratitude, out of knowing Christ, he then says, your life will bear fruit. And that fruit will look like spending time reading his Bible, his word. It will spend time in prayer. It will be giving your money generously. It will be serving others. But it won't be out of a constant need to feel good or feel right with God. It will be out of a a desire to worship and love him. And we have to hear this. So what we're going to do, I'm going to invite the band up. And um, I'd like us all just to start by standing really quietly if we can. Do that now.